Good morning. Is that true, the love of God, so rich and pure, so measureless? I mean, it's amazing to think that we can even try to fathom that, mix that into our brains and in our lives. But what a privilege it is we get to work it out in our lives, right? The love of God. Well, this morning we're going to be touching on um, in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, part of chapter 12, 13. Um, I have a responsibility all through 14, and uh, we're going to kind of divide it up into two. I'm going to just read one verse from Romans chapter 15 to introduce us to this. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So if you'll turn with me now to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and I have, uh, it's been a real joy for me to meditate on this. You know, this has been one of those uh, instances in my life where I haven't had a whole lot of time to gather up thoughts from other people, such as commentaries and things like that. So what I did, what I've done was, for the most part, meditated on this through the day, and and what a great privilege it is. It's just a, a, a stabling factor when you make an attempt, and believe me, it's just uh, an attempt <laughs> to meditate on the Word of God through the day, because you know you're always battling those thoughts and those distractions. So uh, this is going to be very simple, okay? Nothing uh, elaborate. Uh, because obviously I'm not a scholar, okay, and I haven't been able to glean a whole lot from some of the scholars. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be looking at the first part, Exodus chapter 12. I wasn't here last week. I don't know where Brother Malcolm um, finished up, Uh, so so maybe some of this will, um, you know, you'll get it twice. But we're going to begin at verse 37 Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. And in this particular uh, section, we see uh, many have looked at this uh, and titled it Redemption by Power. I think when Malcolm or whoever did the meetings last week, when they did the 10th plague, um, that is often considered redemption by blood. Okay, and here we're going to be considering the redemption by power. And what I've done is I've divided it up into uh, two observations, okay? Good uh, or at least um, solid biblical teaching is based on three factors, observation, interpretation, and application. And we're going to try to do that again here today. I know a lot of times I come up and I say that because when I prepare for something, uh, if I don't use that tool, I get in trouble. <laughs> so we divided this up into two sections, the first section here. Um, the first one we're looking at is going to be distinction. That's what we're going to look at this morning, uh, distinction. And this evening, which will be a very brief time, which you're probably saying, I've heard you speak, I've endured you many times, and that's not often the case with you. But hopefully, in the will of the Lord, it'll be very brief. This morning, we're going to talk about distinction, and this evening, we're going to talk about judgment. Distinctions and judgments under redemption by power. 
Uh, let's do this real quick, and what we'll do is we're going to go ahead and read, and I'll read kind of rapidly. You can glean over it with me. We're going to read the section we're going to consider this morning, which will take us from uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, all the way through uh, chapter 13, verse 16. Okay, so read this with me so we can put it in context. It says, Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt, and they could not wait, nor had they prepared provision for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out, of the land, went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observation or observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn ob ob observance for all the children of Israel throughout the generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner, a sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. <clears throat> Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, the Lord's law may be in, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. 
You shall therefore keep this ordinance in this season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him by strength of hand? The Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontless between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it is learning for us. We thank you that as we glean from it, um, that we too can be strengthened in, in an understanding of your great might and your great power and your great wisdom. We pray that you bless this time the reading of your word, and the consideration this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is arc, when you come to Scripture, there are oftentimes controversial things. I will not be doing, dealing with any of those. Okay? In this particular section of Scripture, there are some, some issues about the amount of people who came out. Uh, there are some issues about uh, the year in which, how many years they were in. Um, and I've looked at some of those things, and there's not a lot of conclusion on some issues. And you know, when I come to those areas, you know, uh, some people like to find a place in the middle. You know, they try to arrange it so that everybody can be in agreement. Well, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> if you don't understand it, you just leave it, and you trust the Lord, and he'll bring it back to you, All right? Well, let's take a look, and we're just going to briefly go over uh, through the passage and go over some observations that I've been able to make. First thing is we're going to look at chapter 12 and verse 38. Well, um, well, first of all, let's look in, in chapter 37. It says, The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. That's one of those controversial things. Many people will say there were 2 million people who came out. Well, we're not really sure whether there were 2 million. It could have been 600,000 uh, uh, men, or it could have been 600,000 clan. And there is a tribal mentality that, that is mixed into this. So um, I will tell you this, whatever it was, the Lord delivered a multi multitude of people, and he did it by hand of strength, okay? Uh, in verse 38, it says, A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. And some of these are intriguing when you go across it because oftentimes we are uh, affected by watching the Ten Commandments and seeing the visual things. And, you know, you don't see some of these things in those. And what, what is this? A mixed multitude. You know, uh, you know, who is this? Well, a mixed multitude are... Uh, in many cases, uh, Egypt was uh, the center of the world at that time. They were conquerors. And there were a lot of people who would 
who would take who would take refuge in Egypt from other places, and they would live there. Uh, and it's probably likely that these people, and some of them were slaves, some of them were bought, some of them were captured, and even some of them were just Egyptians. And it was more likely that these were this mixed multitude was a mixed multitude of, of these kinds of people who saw the power of God and was exposed to the power of this Yahweh in Egypt and thought, well, it's a good idea to follow him. A lot like some of the churches today too, right? Sometimes in the churches you'll have people who are not saved, but they've seen Christians and they think, well, maybe it's a, it's a good idea for us to follow. And this is that mixed multitude, not necessarily believers. And he's going he's gonna to elaborate on this when he comes to some of the distinctions, right? And then in, in verse 40, it says, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. We know that there are some other references to the amount of time in Genesis chapter 15. It's prophesied to Abraham that his descendants will be um, oppressed for 400 years. So, you know, the four, some will say that the 430 years is just a round figure. It's just an estimate. Some have tried to do the math, and it doesn't really, you know, there's a lot of different conclusions. But like I've said before, um, when we come to these issues, we trust the Lord. There's some references. Genesis 15, Acts chapter 7, verse 6, talks about the 430 years. But when you come to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 17, it speaks of 400 years. So um, those are just some side issues that we're going to, uh, I'm going to allow you to investigate yourself, or not allow you, you can do whatever you want, but uh, uh, maybe I'll challenge you to investigate yourself those areas. Now we want to look at some of the distinctions this morning. And I've picked out, I think there are two specific distinctions that we see here. And I think what we find in this exodus is, is that God is beginning to distinguish or recapture a distinction of a people that he wants to use to, uh, to, to glorify himself and to reveal to the world what he's like. And he does that by establishing certain distinctions. We have two, two of them that I see here. Uh, and the first one is the distinction of the Passover meal. And we saw that happen earlier in chapter 12, and he reiterates it here again. And the second one that we're going to do, look at is the distinction of the firstborn. And it was interesting because this idea of the firstborn, there are other passages that speak of the firstborn from the dead. You know, and it's an, it's an intriguing idea that we think, is this the firstborn? And we, we, we see that the Lord Jesus is in Colossians chapter 1. He's declared to be the firstborn from the dead. Does that mean that he was the firstborn who was raised from the dead? Or is it like here in Exodus where he was the firstborn apart from the dead because all of the rest were what? Dead, right? Those who were not redeemed by the blood of the lamb were dead. So the Passover meal, let's go to that first and we want to look at that. In uh, chapter 12, in verse 43, we see, And the Lord said to Moses, This is an ordinance 
of the Passover. In other words, this is specific. These are the things that we're going to do. I was doing a project in, in Davie, and, and the, um, the code enforcer came out, and he was questioning what I was doing, and then he revealed to me the ordinance to make sure I was doing it right. Right? And so the Lord has an ordinance, and, and it's, it's going to be a distinction that he's going to portray. And we see this uh, in, in this way as he begins to line it up. First of all, he says, no foreigner shall eat it. Right? There shall be uh, no foreigner. In other words, it's, it's not someone who, who is not, later on he's going to talk about him being native. Right? He says, no foreigner shall eat it. This is the ordinance. The, or the idea of it is, is that there's no stranger. Okay, we understand and we read it this morning. There's a passage in John chapter 3, verse 3 that says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, what? Unless a man is what? A foreigner, he shall not see the kingdom of God. No, he has to be what? Born again. There's a uniqueness. You know, Christianity is exclusive, right? It's an exclusive relationship. And God has ordinances for us that we are to enter into, right? Uh, John 3.16 tells us, you know, for God so loved the world that, who, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what, believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting. These are ordinances. These are standards. These are principles and guidelines that we're to live in. So there won't be a stranger, okay? You just can't come in. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker? And I still cringe when I see it, and I don't really know who put it out, but it says coexist, right? And then it has all of those little, it has all, it reminds me a little bit earlier when, when Pharaoh had, had, had chased the Israelites out, he ends up, I, I don't know exactly where it's at, uh, when he chases them out, he ends up and he tells Moses, and he says, go and worship your God, and then he ends it by saying, and bless me too. Okay, so th I think there's a, there's, a, there's a thing. People have a, a technological thing and these things, and they, they do apps. Is that what it's called, an app? You do an app. So what, Moses, or what Pharaoh was basically saying, well, first of all, we knew he had all these other gods because we've seen how, you know, how the plagues reflected their gods, right? And so he would just, okay, go worship your god. And by the way, you know, bless me too. He's just going to use it as another app. He didn't really believe it. Right? He just kind of throw. And later on in Athens, we see the same thing, right? And that's generally the tendency of humanity apart from God. So he said, There's, there'll be no strangers. He said, but every man's servant that is bought for money, uh, when thou hast circumcised him, then he shall eat thereof. Another distinction here. This is, this is, an ex this is a commitment, by the way. And this is of the Abrahamic covenant. This is when God had chosen to take Abraham, not because he was rich or handsome or intelligent, but he said, I pick you to reveal myself to the world. And this is the ordinance. And so this is the Abrahamic covenant that there would be uh, a circumcision, uh, which is a commitment. It is, it is a cutting away. And as a believer, uh, there are things, you know, in... in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it tells us to not be unequally yoked. There is a, that whole passage of separation. We are to separate ourselves from the world because we are revealing to the world a living God, right? So 
He says um, that, you know, you circumcise them, and after you do that, then you can eat. And he says in verse 45, a foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat. Okay, somebody that you have hired or someone who's just, he's not going to eat. And then another specific distinction, and these are things that that they're to deal with. And you think when they were in Egypt, it was the same. God had given them a design. God had said, this is what I will see. And by the way, I don't know if Malcolm mentioned it or not. On the Passover, the actual Passover, it's not that when we see the blood, it was when he sees the blood. Some people think, you know, you know, that, that we have to, it's not us. It's his sovereign work that makes the changes. So he says uh, 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 um, in verse 26, he says, In one house shall it be eaten, and shall not carry forth out of the flesh. It shall be consumed, the whole thing. It shall be consumed. There'll be nothing left, and you don't leave it out. And this is an interesting uh, section, uh, phrase too. Neither shall... Ye break a bone thereof. And that reminds us of another incident, doesn't it? It reflects us. It points to another point of time when the Lord Jesus was crucified on the cross. You remember that? And if the time was coming and they were oppressed for time and the Sabbath was approaching and they needed to get these crosses out of here and they had, you know, the two criminals and then Jesus is in the middle and they wanted to make sure that they were dead and they would break the criminal's legs and they would come to Jesus and they wouldn't break his leg, right? So we see some great, wonderful pictures here. You know, we see that in John chapter 19, verse 36. And um, for these things were done, the Lord Jesus would say, that the scripture should be fulfilled. The bone of him shall not be broken. Then in Exodus 12 and verse 47, it says, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. There's a community here. There's a, there's a corporate idea. It's not only there's an individual idea. You know, we're to, have, we're to have our personal devotions. We're to have our personal study. We're to pray independently. But what a wonderful thing it is when we come together and break bread. And we corporately come together and witness of the grace of God in our own lives and the power of his work like we did this morning, right? So, and then in verse 48, these are some distinctions. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, again, another distinction. This is a commitment. This is not something, this is, and by the way, you know, to, in many ways we have a very, a very uh, what is it, an easy believism uh, that, you know, just, just, just come to the Lord. Just say this prayer. Just walk this aisle. You know, the New Testament never speaks of that. The New Testament never speaks of saying a prayer or walking an aisle. The New Testament says this. You know that you're saved if there's evidence in your life. Okay? If there's a distinction in your life. And it's the same here. Is there a distinction? It's a commitment. It's not just, it's not just some prayer. It's an everyday thing. In 1 John, it says, if you are born again, you shall not continue in sin. You'll love the brethren. You'll love the Lord Jesus. There's things that make you different from the rest of the world, right? So, and, and uh, of course, we recognize that the circumcision was a, the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 10. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and I just want to read a verse that kind of helps us 
in this area. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, In him you also... Uh, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made what? Without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So there's a commitment there. It's not just, it's not just uh, taking it for granted. So we see that. Um, in the redeeming, in the, the redemption by power, God is beginning to separate himself of people. He's beginning to establish it, and he makes distinctions. The first one was the Lord's Supper. The second one, I think, is a little bit more uh, interesting, and I'll, we'll move a little quickly here. And this is the firstborn. Look in uh, chapter 13 and verse 2. And it's, or in, yeah, in chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. The Lord says, It is mine. Now, the word here, sanctify, it means to set apart, right? To take something that was set apart from a common use to, um, to, to a sacred use, okay? We set apart, we sanctify later on. Moses in the wilderness, you know, uh, God would actually uh, prevent Moses from entering to the promised land. Why? Because he struck the rock and God said, you did not what? Sanctify me. You did not set me apart. So the idea of sanctifying is to set something apart. And the verb here, sanctify, uh, it means to be holy, to be set apart. It's, it's set apart. And the central principle of this, of this whole chapter here, the firstborn were to be sacred to God. And they, they, they must be set apart for his use, for a sacred use. Now, how does that work? How does that work? Look, look with me in verse, I guess in verse 9. We're going to go. He says, and it shall, well, no, we're not going to go there. Yeah, go to verse 9. And it shall be a sign unto thee upon thy head and a memorial between thy eyes that the Lord may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. And the point of the teaching, the point of setting apart, was the teaching was obviously meant to keep the law of God in their minds. So we set them apart. He's, they're set apart. It's, it's a distinction that the firstborn are to be set apart. Look with me, uh, and we're going to look at verse 12. It says, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth, openeth the matrix and every firstling that cometh of the breasts which thou hast. The male shall be the Lord's. And we want to compare that. This is an interesting comparison. In Exodus chapter 12, we see that Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it says, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. We're seeing a reflection here that the, the passage reflects a connection with the deliverance of the firstborn in Exodus, in, in, in Exodus chapter 12. There was, there was a deliverance of the firstborn when the Lord passed over Israel, right? So that was the deliverance there. And it's remarkable to think that the Lord, he didn't, when in chapter 13, he wasn't keeping the firstborn. 
okay? He wasn't keeping him, but he was setting him aside. He wanted him to be dedicated to him. He wanted the child to be redeemed by the father, okay? And it was an acknowledgement that the life of the child belonged to God as the one redeemed from death. So that was what the, the, the distinction of dedicating and sanctifying the firstborn was they were set apart that they would be, and by the way, in a lot of ways, when you look at the firstborn, the reason why, why would God use the firstborn to, uh, in Egypt, the firstborn of all of those who um, did not make a, make a redeeming sacrifice? Why? Because that's their heritage. That's, their, that's in many ways, in Egypt, it was their gods. They looked to passing on to the next king. Well, the Lord is saying, you set them apart, and he's saying, you write their laws on, you live this distinctive life. Why? So that when your children grow up, that they'll know that you have been redeemed with a mighty hand. I wrote this down. It's a remarkable thing. That is that God did not keep the firstborn that was dedicated to him, but allowed the child to be redeemed by his father. It was an acknowledgement that the life of the child belonged to God as the one redeemed from death, that the child represented the family. Thus, the observance referred to the dedication of all the redeemed of God. And later on, we would see the Lord Jesus being, being titled the firstborn, right? And this would point to another firstborn. The firstborn, it says in, in Psalm 89, verse 27, And I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth, speaking of the Lord Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 28, we read that, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this distinction would point us to the firstborn, would point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more passage, and then we'll kind of close it up. Uh, in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 13, part of the distinction of the firstborn, it's, he, he says, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you shall not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And the firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. The idea of redemption is the idea of paying with a price, is something having be paid by a cost. And the word here is usually is regularly redeeming a person or an animal from death or servitude to buy them out of it. It says, if you will not, regarding the donkey, then it says, and this isn't interesting, then thou shalt break his neck. A conditional clause. If you'll not be redeemed, the penalty is death. Okay? And it follows by this here, it follows by a perfect tense and it means it's an obligation or there's an it's an instruction to obligate it now the, the owner doesn't have to redeem the donkey and how would he redeem the donkey he would offer up a what he would offer up a lamb right he would offer up a lamb but if he didn't he'd have to kill it by breaking a snake so the it was either it was either the lamb or the donkey 
he had to make a decision which one he wanted. The donkey, couldn't, the donkey could not be killed by shedding blood because it would make it a sacrifice. You see how practical it is? It would make the donkey a sacrifice, and that is not the distinction that God had established in Egypt. What was it that was to be sacrificed? A lamb, not a donkey. So, and then once they get into the land, this distinction will be perpetuated, right? And uh, he says, in every firstborn of the man among your sons, and by the way, this is in addition of man. It's clearly meant, it's to distinguish the humans from the animals. And how do you redeem a human? How was a human redeemed? Well, later on in Numbers, the Lord would give to Moses the direction. Numbers chapter 18, verse 15, he writes, And everything that openeth the matrix in all flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the first thing of unclean beast shalt thou redeem. And those are to be redeemed from a month old shalt you redeem according to thine estimation for the money of five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. So men were redeemed by paying a tribute to the temple. And that's what the Lord did. That's what uh, Mary and Joseph would do. They would present Jesus and uh, would pay a shekel. One was to sacrifice the firstborn of animals to Yahweh, right? But the children, they were to be redeemed by their, what? Fathers, okay? The, the, the donkey would be redeemed by the animals. Later in Hebrews, we read this morning, the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats could not what? It can't satisfy your sins. It couldn't do it. So we see the, the distinction here in the first part. And in these, two, in these two distinctions, let me just close it up here. The two distinctions are the Passover meal and the representation of the firstborn. It, he, the Lord is beginning to establish. He's, and by the way, these are things that will keep them. And when you get into the wilderness and when they start getting their, their uh, dietary rules and their dietary laws. It's not that there's anything wrong with those things. Just like Daniel, when Daniel was in, uh, in Babylon, he, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the food. It was that he was to be separate. He was to be distinguished between the rest of the world. So it distinguishes them and it helps to protect them from syncretizing into the rest of the world and being just like the rest of the world. So we see in the first part, in the eating of the unleavened bread, it recalls the night that they lived in Egypt. They would be reminded when they ate the unleavened bread, when they ate the Passover meal. They would be reminded what happened, that God had redeemed them, with a God had delivered them with a strong hand. And it calls for purity. We know leaven talks about is, is associated very much with sin through scripture. And the Lord Jesus would look at the Pharisees who had developed their own religion. And he would say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? They had their own ideas. God says, I have a distinction for you. And that's not it. And that's not it. So the idea of eating unleavened bread should develop a sense of purity in their lives, a desire 
to be pro And in the second part, the dedication of the firstborn, it was an acknowledgement of deliverance of the firstborn from, from bondage. You know, they were, they were to remember the deliverance. And because of the deliverance, they would choose what? Purity, right? Romans, it says it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And they would choose purity. They were to remember the deliverance, and they were to choose dedication to the Lord, right? These were some distinctions that God was establishing to separate them, to make them a people to represent himself. The New Testament also says this. You are not of your own, right? In 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 6, it says you are not of your own, for you were what? Bought with a, you were bought with a price. Therefore, because you were bought with a price, glorify God. And these great truths we see can be learned well and retained well from one generation to the other. Who was the one to redeem the son? The father. And he was to pass it down. The firstlings of the beasts, they were not used in sacrifices, but they were to be changed for others that were used as sacrifices, right? Or they would be destroyed. And same way with us. Our souls are forfeited to God's justice. Our souls are forfeited to God's justice unless we're ransomed by the sacrifice of Christ, unless there's been a payment for us. And we're not under the law anymore since Christ. So I don't know if anyone paid five shekels for you when you were born, if you were the firstborn. But it wouldn't matter anyway, right? Because we have a better price that was paid for us. You know, these institutions would continually remind them of their duty. They were to serve the Lord. And for us today, the distinctions that we have, the ordinances that the New Testament church has, such as baptism and the Lord's Supper, they were established as ordinances by God for what? To distinguish us from what? The rest of the world, right? You're a, you're a what is, what is the, the one passage that says that, that um, you're, what's that? A holy nation, you're a royal priesthood, right? You're a royal priesthood. You're set aside if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If not, God's justice will always be carried out. And what we will see here, and we'll talk about it a little bit tonight, when you look and just make one last comment, you know, you see the destruction of the firstborn in Egypt, and later on we're going to see the destruction of the Egyptians. And some might say, boy, that's a mean God. That's a mean God. Why would I want to follow a God like that? Well, if you look at the life of the Egyptians, you're going to see that their idols and their worship was so destructive. It wasn't only destructive to themselves, but it was potentially destructive to the will of God. It was potentially destructive to the design of God. And God's justice will always prevail. His justice will always prevail. So this morning, I, I, I commit to you that 
If you're not born again, there's no other way to enter the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, the Bible tells us that the penalty of sin is death, right? Just like that donkey. But the gift of God, God the Father, he's a father, he's a loving father. The gift of God is eternal life, right? That if you believe in him, the scriptures teach us that you'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And I know that the thoughts were kind of muddled and we moved along pretty rapidly. There's a lot to consider. Thank you for the patience of the saints. Thank you for your word and how it does give us teaching and that we can learn much about who you are and we can learn of your characteristics and we can learn of uh, how you would have us to live as representative. The Apostle Paul would call us ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, Lord, for this privilege that we get to study and learn that we should live a pure life, that we should serve the Lord because he loved us. He first loved us, and we can love him in return. In Jesus' name, amen.